0: Hello, my name is Lee Paulson. This is the presentation of my independent research project entitled Free to Hate: Hate Crime's Intertwinement with Free Speech in the United States. This research is in response to the growing tension between civil liberties and civil rights, and it investigates the relationship between the relative expansiveness of free speech and the nationwide propensity for hate crimes. My research question was, how has the evolving definition of free speech influenced the propensity for hate crimes in the United States? In response, first I argue that the development of a culture, social, hierarchy, and linguistic norms are influenced by the legal limitations that government places on speech. To understand this, it is important to think about how communication is both reflective of the worldviews in a society and that it influences those worldviews, meaning hate speech, as an expression of prejudice, reflects prejudice sentiment in a society, and it influences others to normatively accept prejudice social hierarchy. However, communication is also an agent of change, so this means that there is more opportunity to challenge hierarchy when the social and legal permission for speech is broader. While a legally broad range of speech does mean that hate speech may be permitted, Given that the majority is most likely to hold political power, it poses a lesser danger than allowing government to determine which speech is permitted and which is not. To connect this to violence and crimes of intimidation, this means that if the norms of a society maintain prejudiced attitudes, structural inequality is a likely result. Structural inequality is associated with violence and crimes of intimidation. Hate crimes, my response variable, are innately intertwined with that drive to maintain social dominance, a drive that is perpetuated through hegemonic ideology. And when there is a weakness in that hegemonic facade, meaning when people challenge the oppressive assumptions of a culture, violence and intimidation are used to silence and maintain existing social hierarchy. This leads me to my hypothesis, that as more speech is permitted by government, the nationwide propensity for hate crimes decreases. To test this hypothesis, I assessed and scored the relative liberalism of 50 randomly selected court rulings from a pool of 75 major Supreme Court freedom of expression cases over the past century. So I created a free speech index to comparatively assess the relative level of liberalism between the cases, accounting for the different types of free speech cases present in the sample. This involved a detailed reading and index scoring of each case ruling, which was followed by a chronological graphing of the Supreme Court index scores over the past century. And during that same century, I collected as much data as I could, feasible within the practical limitations of this project in order to chart the number of reported hate crimes during that century. And by no means is my resulting data set of the recorded hate crimes a authoritative set. Um, a multitude of limitations arose while I was collecting this data, which I will elaborate on, but I do believe that these discrepancies themselves provide an informative window into the past. My findings show a clear trend of liberalization and the freedom of speech rulings. When the Supreme Court first began ruling on free speech in the early 20th century, the rulings were rather restrictive and arbitrary. Nearly universally, from 1919 to 1957, government restricted speech that it found harmful, or mostly potentially harmful, in accordance to the dominant culture's and government's preferences. Over time, particularly post-1969, the Supreme Court ruled in an increasingly egalitarian and unbiased way, by routinely ruling in favor of controversial ideas and ideas despised by government as a whole and the general public at the time, for example, flag-burning. As for the other variable, in contradiction to the expectations of my hypothesis, the annual recorded hate crime rate did rise dramatically over the past century. However, I will stress that the data collected does not represent the actual number of hate crimes committed each year, but rather only the incidents which were recorded. The implications of the quantitative and qualitative data I encountered in my search for hate crime records are fascinating. So to start, the term hate crimes didn't actually come into popular usage until the 1970s or 80s and shortly after the government and advocacy organizations began to collect data on hate crime incidents. As a result, many of the acts of violence and intimidation we would today consider hate crimes were not categorized as specifically prejudice-motivated crimes, that is, if they were considered crimes at all. Yet many of the acts of violence during the first half of the 20th century were horrendous, unimaginably violent, and explicitly racially motivated. For example, I went through written accounts of race riots from 1919 through 1949. These riots comprised of arson, violent assault, and the murder of literally entire black communities. These riots could last hours or days, and they were instigated by racial tension. In at least one instance, an entire black town was abandoned in a collective flee for life. These incidents were not considered criminal acts. Generally speaking, white-on-black violence was not considered a criminal act. So this is why I and other scholars are greatly skeptical of this appearance that the number of hate crimes increased so dramatically. These findings are not substantial evidence to conclude that the nation's actual propensity for hate crimes increased over the past century. Rather, the data implies that the national tendency to record hate crimes increased. Overall, this hollowed out historical r- record speaks directly to my theory, that hegemonic ideology discounts the experiences of those it oppresses. While a rumor of a black man raping a white woman was caused for newspaper articles, lynchings, and these devastatingly deadly race riots, Historical records of white men raping black women is eerily vacant. During this time, people were pressured to heed to social hierarchy, and certainly leave it unchallenged. The only recorded violence against oppressed people was publicized violence intended to broadcast the recommendation of minorities that were suspected of challenging the norms of hegemonic ideology. The intimidation latent publicity was utility for maintaining racial hierarchy and legitimizing hegemony. From what I was able to find, the American history of committed hate crimes is largely vacated from the first half of the 20th century, yet given the culture of the time, I have little doubt that the acts we would today consider hate crimes were more than likely very widespread. These implications do parallel my findings of the Supreme Court during the first half of the 20th century that free speech was not vibrant. It is not surprising that crimes of prejudice motivated violence and intimidation were not deemed important to record when culture and government worked hand in hand to maintain social and racial hierarchy. Thus, my research implies that the patterns of socially and legally enforced silence are motivated to maintain a lack of opposition to the hegemonic ideology in public dialogue. I could go on, but unfortunately I am out of time, so thank you very much for listening.